Hello and welcome to Minter Dialogue, episode number 222. Today is Sunday the 5th of February 2017 and this interview is with Jane Franklin, who's a cybersecurity entrepreneur and the founder of Newstart that helps cybersecurity entrepreneurs in their startups. Jane is a sought-after speaker and the author of a soon-to-be-released Women in Cybersecurity. In this conversation with Jane, we talk about the state of cybercrime and cybersecurity, how executives and entrepreneurs should be handling their cybersecurity, and some top tips that everyone should know. Most useful stuff. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue podcast, where we discuss brand marketing with a focus on all things digital. I am Minter Dial, your host and author of The Mindset, that's M-Y-N-D-S-E-T dot com, where branding gets personal. You'll find the show notes to the blog for the upcoming interview. Let's cut to the quick. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to Minter Dialogue. Today, piped in from sunny England, or I don't know what it is down there, Jane, um, we have Jane Franklin, someone who uh, I met many moons ago and is has really become a the most renowned person talking about cybersecurity and the role of women within it. That's how I introduce you, Jane. You tell us who you are, what you do, and importantly, as we all like to do, what's your mindset? Okay, th- thanks so much for that, Minta. Um, my name is Jane Frankland. I'm an entrepreneur, speaker, consultant, and SD Awards judge for Europe and, and the US. Um, that's a major magazine in my industry. I'm a top 50 influencer in the UK for cybersecurity. I spent 19 years in the industry, ages, and yep. I, I built and sold a, a global penetration testing company. So it, it looked at assessing companies for their for, for basically hackers. Um, and I've worked as a director for some large PLCs. I've served on forums for C-levels and been heavily in, involved with various standards. Um, uh, and uh, I'm shortlisted for awards every now and again, which is really good. Keep at it. And I'm a mum to, to three kids. Sorry? Uh, and I said keep at it. And you're a mum with three kids. Yeah. Because... How would you describe your mindset? Um, well, I would say it's performance-based. I'm very, very driven. I believe you can achieve anything that you set your mind to do. Um, I, I think we live in, I really do think we live in incredible times. Anything is possible. You just have to believe that you can do it. That's brilliant. You've been in this industry then for quite a long time. Um, gosh, how, how do you describe how it's changed? Um, that's a really interesting question. For, for me, because I have been in it so long, I don't necessarily see that many changes. Obviously, we've got new technologies coming about, but invariably the issues that we have are still actually um, the issues that we had you know, at least 15 years ago. So that that's that. When I go and speak at events and introduce speakers at events, because sometimes I MC, I'll, I'll talk about this. The problems that we have now are are very very much the problems that we had a good decade ago. Well, I mean, so if I push back a little bit, a decade ago we were still talking about CD ROMs. We didn't even have USB keys. We uh, didn't have the same. We smartphone were just just you know rolled out for the first time. Mm-hmm. So how does that not make it change? It's it's the well the ways that hackers are are getting in are becoming more creative. So certainly right now that's what that's what we're experiencing as an industry. Hackers are becoming much more collaborative. They're becoming much more business like 
birds um, and they're becoming much more creative using a variety of ways to get into companies. But essentially, even looking at, say, mobile phones and things like that, they, they're applications. Um, so, you know, again, it's, it's just looking at how you're assessing the security, how you're looking at risk and how you're getting in. That's all very similar as to what it was, you know, 10 or 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. All right, that's cool. And um, so I know you're, you're about to... Um publish your book, which we'll talk about at the end, I'm sure. But one of the things that you're passionate about is the role and presence of women in mm-hmm. cybersecurity. Can you tell us why this is so important for you and why we should be all worried about it or concerned about it? Yeah, um, absolutely. So I, you know, I, I started writing this book actually by accident. I, I, I picked up a report um, by a company called ISC Squared. And, they're, uh, and I was shocked by the numbers. I was completely and utterly shocked. I, I thought there were more women in the industry. I know lots of women in the industry from having been in it for so long. But what really concerned me was the declining numbers. So um, in the last five years, those numbers have dropped significantly from 18% now to, to 10%. So that shocked me enough to actually start writing about it. I presented my view on how I saw the industry. And then from from that point, so during the past year, I've, I've been out there interviewing um, thousands of of men and women in the industry. I've been um, looking at data. I've been talking to gender diversity experts uh, worldwide and really looking at the problems. But women are fundamentally different to to men. You only have to look in in the mirror (laughs) naked to, to see that. We are different. And that's that's so good, you know, that because of the way that our minds work, we see risk in a very, very different way um, to, to men. And when, you, when you're approaching a problem, it's far better to approach it with, you know, as, as I, was, I was talking to someone last night, we were talking about two armies approaching it with two different sets of thinking so that we can actually solve problems fast, faster and so that the dialogue become, becomes richer. Just having the same type of thinking you know, really means that you're going to get the same type of output. You're not going to be able to solve the complex problems um, in the way that you need to uh, with the same type of of thinkers. And for a long time in security, we've had the same type of thinkers. And invariably, they're they're men, um, they're older men. Many come from the armed services, and I'm a huge fan of the armed services, but we can't have the same type of thinkers in our industry. We need that diversity, and and women can can bring that because fundamentally we are very very different to men, and oh, it's okay to be different. I love that, Jane. Uh, you know, I studied women's studies as a minor at university, so I'm all in favor of the difference and the diversity. Mm. But eighteen to ten percent—that's a shocking, shocking decline. Can you tell <clears throat> me why that's happening? Ah, well, yeah, I mean. There are lots and lots of reasons why, you know, you can go back to, you know, the mid 80s when uh, PCs were around and there was a lot of marketing in terms of uh, boys toys and things like that. And a lot of emphasis on movies um, such as, you know, I was going to say Hackers, actually Hackers is is a different type of film, actually, where the role model is actually quite um, positive, actually. The but the other films are really kind of show boys as, as the main character and, and women kind of portrayed very stereotypically. So there was a lot of emphasis on um, computers being boys' toys, whereas you know in the sixties we had 
late 60s, certainly almost like an, an opposite of that. I mean, Cosmopolitan was out there writing about programming as being the new work for women. You know, we had a lot of women in technology at that time. And as security has been born from technology, uh, we had, you know, a really, <coughs> a really good start. So, yeah, I think the media has a, has had a really big role to play, I think, with regards to, to this. When you think about it, though, Jane, to your point, coding and programmers as a culture often is more of a night owl than a day person. Mm-hmm. And coding, you don't need to be in an office for it. Yeah. So it would, I mean, so outside of being a mum with kids at home, <clears throat> the idea of being able to do coding at home yeah. Not that I want to pigeonhole women as having to stay at home, but let's say that that is some kind of reality. It, it does correspond to a perfect type of job and skill yep. set. Absolutely. Hmm. Well, I love that. So let's let's look at cybersecurity because I am um, an amateur uh, and reasonably interested in, in things that are going on, but it seems very confusing for me. How? What? What is the state of? Uh, cybersecurity. I mean, how much is how much crime is out there? Is it growing? Is it is it just ballooning? Is there mm-hmm. a stemming of the tide? How do you describe the state of the business in cybersecurity? I mean, it, it's it's growing exponentially. I mean, it's you know, I don't want to alarm anyone, but it's quite you know, it's go for it. Alarm quite, people. We need to alarm people. Yeah, go for it. it. It's exponential. It's 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 growing beyond belief. I mean, in in 2015, Lloyd's of London estimated that cyber attacks were costing businesses as much as 400 billion dollars U.S. dollars a year, and that includes um, direct damage plus post-attack disruption to the normal course of business. And Juniper Research also predicted that the cost of data breaches will increase to 2.1 trillion US dollars by 2019. Now, the other day I was looking at um, uh, an estimate and that was talking about 6 trillion US dollars by I think it was 2021. You know, so the cost is, is growing. And you know, some people out there think that it is the greatest threat to, to all businesses out there right now. So that, that's looking at it really from a, a business perspective. But when we're looking at all of this, there are also other aspects to it. You know, so we have things like not just cybercrime, but we have, um, you know, we have industrial espionage. You know, so we have state-sponsored attackers. We have, you know, foreign intelligence services probing, trying to get, you know, our information to either make them more competitive with their economies or just to, you know, to steal it and use it or to to block our efforts. Um, And then you've got other groups like hacktivists and you've you've got hackers out there. I mean, hackers really um, in in the sense that I, I would talk about them tend to be young boys in their bedrooms, um, just having a bit of fun, using it as a challenge. How can I get in? Almost like a bit of a game. Mm -hmm. You know, so you have lots of different types of of people who are doing this for lots and lots of different reasons. And then, of course, you have your employees. And, you know, for me, there's right now in, in security, there's a huge emphasis on certainly awareness and looking at, at the employees within your organization and looking at the threats that, that, they're, you know, that they present. So you're saying, Ben, that it's, it's not just a case of the mistaken employee. It's a, it's a case of the malignant employee. 
Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, just to give you an example of that, you know, you can break it down into about, I would say, six different types of, of employees that you can be under threat from. <clears throat> you know, you could have, you know, someone who's an activist, you know, so they are leaking data, they become disillusioned with, with the company, something might have happened that they don't agree with. And so they might leak a story to the, to the press. And then you might have a disgruntled, you know, employee. So they're looking at sabotaging the company. So there might have been a big fallout um, and they quit. You know, they might have released something like a time bomb onto, you know, the system, corrupting um, the system or even falsifying data. Mm -hmm. And then you might have someone who's careless, you know, so they're not intending to do anything wrong. But, you know, they, they just might be negligent and have emailed themselves you know, sensitive data or passwords and, mm. and that, that maybe they want to work from home and they can't do that at the office. <clears throat> and then you might have someone who's out there to steal data, you know, to, to uh, IP theft. So they might have been recruited by a competitor um, and, and are out there to steal your data and earn a good, you know, some money from that. Mm. Or somebody might be being blackmailed. So that could be fraud, you know, or you might have someone kind of, unknowingly compromising they might have clicked on a link you know and all of a sudden um you know they've downloaded a, a, a spreadsheet with malware well I, if i take that one because it's a great series of profiles you put there the mm. careless one uh there's a there's an element of the unintended um yeah. employee and then there the rest seem to be all with intention yeah. So, and in the split, I mean, of course, we don't, probably don't have data on this, but for the way I perceive it is that we talk more about the ones who are careless than we do about the malignant ones. Is that fair or, or is that inaccurate? Well, I, I mean, that's that's a really good question because I'm, I'm in the industry, so I see, it depends where I am. So I, I've seen an awful lot of, of focus on the outside, you know, the external attackers right. trying to get in mm -hmm. but equally <laughs> there is a big focus on the awareness piece so <laughs> what's going on inside the, the network you know from your employees so for me <clears throat> it's really you know being <clears throat> sorry mindful of both mm -hmm. sets of people but it really just just depend on, on where you are and what's being talked about. So it's quite interesting that you ask me that question uh, because it really does depend on pretty much which conference I've just come from, where the emph emphasis is. Mm. And you're going back to the uh, sex difference. It, it does strike me that the larger, anyway, mediatic uh, approach, if not reality, is mm. that most of the people that are hacking are portrayed as being men. Yeah. And 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 perhaps I'm thinking that must have also contributed to it. I mean, on the one hand, you have this, the, the the security defense players, yeah, who are trying to help us, protect us, keep our IP and brand equity and customer yep. data safe. On the other hand, you have the 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 mal the mal people, and whether they are corporate or state sponsored. Yeah, it typically, yep. is you know the the vision is the 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 acne oriented boy. Yeah, uh, who's just at night doing all sorts of things, whether it's for fun or for credit cards or whatever. Mm. And I'm just I, yeah, is that, so that, yeah. that so? I don't know if there's any data yeah. on that because there that, is there is data on it. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, I was looking at some uh, uh, 
a piece of data yesterday, actually, from it was from 2013, so three years ago. But broadly, the stats were 80% were male offenders. Hmm. Um, and, and bearing in mind that, again, the, the challenge that we have is, you know, we have to, it's a bit like where's Wally, you know, in terms of trying to find who are attacking us, mm-hmm. we don't know. You know, so we can only go on the information that we have and the information that we have points in the direction of, you know, 20 percent, maybe women and 80 percent, maybe men. But we actually really don't don't know what what those figures are. But only from the data that we have, we can say pretty much it's it's 80, 20. I want want to get into um, the idea of cyber security. And, you know, if you're a business and you, you, you put up your alarming numbers which, of course, don't make any sense because they're far too big for us. Yeah. But obviously, it is a burgeoning issue. So if you're running a business, is is security or total security possible? No, absolutely not. <laughs> um, all we can do, and this, again, it's another question, all we can do is mitigate the risk. We can't eliminate it. You know, and e- even within security, we're still educating the practitioners on that. But often, often we're faced, you know, within the industry of, of going to the board and, and trying to get a budget. You know, how can we increase our budget in order to protect ourselves from these risks? And invariably, the board will say, well, look, you know, why should I increase your budget? You know, can you make us secure? <clears throat> we can't. No, you can't have 100 percent security. But what you can do is mitigate your mitigate your risks. So lower them. And and really, that comes down to looking at you know, what your appetite is is for your risk. So knowing what your assets are, a lot of companies don't actually understand what their assets are. Give me an, give me an example of that. Because <coughs> let's say that you know, obviously, there's the assets and liabilities on a balance sheet. Mm. What type of assets are would you focus on if you're talking to a company that says, "All right, all right, Jane, thanks." Well, what assets should I be focused on? Well, it could be it could be your systems, you know. So any of your systems, your your network, um, your systems, um, your data, obviously, your people. It, it really, it, you know, you you've got to look at all of, all of those things, you know, in terms of, of your assets, your IP, data, competitive information. Um, yeah, but but broadly, it's it's those things: your your data, your systems, and, and your people, your human capital. Right. So I suppose what we need to do then is to uh, not try and protect all of it. Again, well, again, it comes down to to risk. You know, what is your appetite? What, you know, where is your greatest risk? So even when I spoke about, you know, the types of attackers that we have, you know, depending on the type of company that you are, you really need to get into the mindset of being someone who might want to exploit you or attack you. Um, so it could be that they they want to disrupt your business. You know, they want to stop it. They could be a competitor or just not like what you stand for. Or it could be that they want to steal your data or make money from that. So it really, one of the best things that you can do is actually to try and get into the mindset of someone who might want to um, come and exploit your exploit your business. You mean develop empathy? No, not develop empathy. But the, the way that I often explain it to, um, you'll appreciate this, Minta, to, to business owners, certainly, if I'm talking to small business owners, 
I'll talk about talking about profiling. So get into the mindset of let's use the word hacker, uh, an attacker or hacker, and and find out what they might want to do um, with with your company. So it strikes. So I was going to ask you that. There's a if you are an unethical business. Yeah. Does that mean then that you should uh, up your your risk factor? You may want to. Again, it comes down to your appetite. You know what your likelihood is, and there are various there are various degrees that you can go to in order to to ascertain this. There there are lots of tools that you can use. There are lots of processes that you can use, and obviously, there's a lot of consultants out there who will help you do that along with along with tools that will help you ascertain what your risk is but the there are mechanisms for actually putting a value on these types of things which i always encourage businesses to to look at so that they are better informed and at least when they turn around um to their shareholders or you know even to their partners um and they can say, well, we looked at this and this is what we, we based it on. They, they're coming to it from a knowledge perspective and it's not something that they're ignorant on or have just swept under the carpet, tried to brush under the carpet. Something I have written about in the past is the inverse relationship between security and creativity. Mm. Now, of course, you put someone in a box and you say, well, you're in a box, you better be creative. And yeah, that's that, mm. there is one form. But in the, this world of collaboration, open software, open sourced uh, software, mm. and, and a, an idea that you, know, you can't have all the expertise within, you end up needing to have partners. Yeah. So that tends to lead me to being open. Whereas on the other side, when I want security, it tends to want to close me down. Some company yeah. is not going to, well, I mean, Samsung, to, to take one, has a 45-minute uh, strip search basically uh, at their uh, their sole office where they are so concerned about uh, people coming in with a phone uh, that takes a camera or a USB key or so on you, you get really uh, very closely monitored do they, I, do they let you in with a laptop? they do but they, oh, that, but so they, they won't allow you in with a phone or the no, camera? they allow you in with a phone but it has to be put in a plastic bag which double plastic bag with Little security tabs uh, put over the iPhone, the phone, uh, sorry, the camera pieces. But so, yet you can go in with a with a laptop, and right. that's usually got a camera. And they over <laughs> a over layer on top of that a security okay, patch. Okay, It's one of those ones where if you touch it, it changes color. Okay. And then they verify that on the way that's out. That's quite good. I like that. I've really? not heard of that before. Actually, that's no. really <laughs> it's it's very tight. So yeah. my, well, I guess my point was actually looking at the correlation or what i think is an inverse correlation between creativity and security mm. do you uh, what's your thought on that has that come down mm. on you oh yeah absolutely i mean we need oh, it's such a creative discipline i mean this this is the other thing that you know i, I certainly talk about in the book you know it's it's both an art and a science so mm. t- certainly if, if we're talking about because there are lots of different disciplines um cybersecurity is very very diverse as a profession there is so much that, that you can get involved in. You don't have to be technical, and I'm not technical at all. My, my degree is actually in, in art and design. You know, and there are many, many people like me, and people like me are so needed, um, whether we're, you know, male or female, it, it, you know, 
in in this case, it's again how how you think and having that that creativity. So you have to be able to approach this this whole industry, this problem, um, with many different minds. And and creative minds are such an asset because we need that creativity in order to uh, break even. You know, to 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 defend ourselves. Um, you know, against against those who are who are attacking us. All right. So creativity is is more what I would call a mindset. Yeah. How about systems? Because let's say that there are many companies uh, that are very hot on IPO territory f- f- flogging this idea that all you need to do is put in place my system and it's going to yeah. protect you. Uh, how, do you how do you find the right system? Is there mm-hmm. a right system? How do you go about that? Uh, again, it's a, it's a great question. There's, uh, there are lots of ways to do that. But what I'll just say is, in order to to really protect yourself and have operational efficiency, you really need to be looking at um, technology processes and and people. So you need to have those three things. So technology or systems aren't a silver bullet. And Out of respects, they have been viewed as as that. You know whether that is is by the board or whether that's by those implementing them. But certainly, when it comes to technologies, again, those procuring them sometimes and quite often this can happen. You know they become shelfware; they're not even implemented, or even if they are implemented, they're not used to the capacity that they need to be used to. You know, and also they can be implemented in an insecure manner. So when when I talked about right at the beginning, I, I owned a, a penetration testing company. <clears throat> Often we go in, and we would we would find you know problems with with the implementation, you know insecurities by those who are well meaning and have come from um, you know suppliers, consultancies who've implemented the systems, but they've not been done so in a secure manner. It's a very selfish question, but mm. and I don't know if you have the answer. But should you have a firewall? or an anti-spam detector on your browser, in your computer, at home? Uh, well, I would, I would encourage you to, to do that. It depends on, on what you're using. So some systems have, have them built in. So it really depends on... If you're, uh, if you're in the Mac world. I mean, yeah. I, it seems like I hear, oh, well, Mac is less penetrable. The iOS is... Mm. The operating system of Apple is more... Hardened. Is more difficult and it's baked in some security. I just have any pearls of wisdom for those of us who are sitting with a a computer that keeps on sending up the the wheel because waiting and waiting because the firewall is slowing it down. Should we keep it? Is there a good one? Any, Any thoughts for that? Um, I'm not. I'm not going to make a recommendation with regards to that because it, it comes down to to what you want to do, and I would encourage you to discuss that with, you know, the person who looks after your your IT systems, whether you work in a big company or a small company. Um, <clears throat> there are lots of things. You know, there are lots of reasons for that swirly wheel. Yeah, you know, happening. Right. Of course, loads of reasons. Yeah, so it's yeah, not yeah. it's not necessarily a security reason, yeah. but. There are lots of reasons for that. All right. So how about giving us uh, some of your top tips? What, you know, just anything that comes to mind that you think would be useful for us as we continue our daily little lives running around with our devices all over the place uh, and potential risks. What be, what's some top tips you give us? Um, definitely. I would, I would say educate yourselves as much as possible um, and use sites depending on where you are with your knowledge regarding this you know that mm-hmm. will depend on, on which sites you go to mm-hmm. um <clears throat> certainly in the uk i mean there are various places that that you can go to um 
you know, there are various um, guides that you can you can look at. The government have have produced lots of you know really good guides. You know, the ten steps, um, cyber essentials. I was I was in, involved in launching that um, a few years ago. Um, they're really good places just to go and look at. So you definitely have, educate yourselves as much as you can. Do you have a um, Do you have a site that you particularly like to go to? Um, not really. No, no. Um, I don't actually have have one that I tend to go to. I, you know, I, I look at, at many of them, so they they evolve and, and new sites come up. But mm-hmm. but if you you know the, the 10 steps guide mm-hmm. is a really good one cool. if you're in the uk yep. um i'm just looking at you know another kind of link that i might have uh i would say go to the 10 steps guide okay. that's, i'll put that's that i'll put that in the show notes okay. sure um you can look at the ico again you know because some things boil down to it's not just a tax but it's compliance and regulation so it really does depend on, on your business and on what you're looking at. So cybersecurity covers compliance and, and regulation mm-hmm, cool. um, as well as, as a tax. So, yeah, the, the ICO is, is also really good if you're in the UK. Um, other kind of tips is definitely to evaluate your risk. You know, so look at your risk, look at what your assets are um, and evaluate, <clears throat> evaluate that. Look at the likelihood um, of um you know threats and impacts so typically the formula that i would use would be risk equals vulnerability times threat times impact over so divided by the probability but there are many many different risk formulas out there so i would encourage your your listeners to to really look at the risk definitely as the first port of call um and then also you know if you have a company you know Get your employees to act as shields, you know, educate them and get them involved because a lot of the time they're really interested in, in all of this. So get them to buy into it and use simple language to explain it, make it relevant to them. And don't make it a case of, you know, if, if you work in an office and then you go home, make it part of how you operate as as your kind of um, it's culture, really. So don't make it, I go into the office and then I do these things and then I go home and I don't do those things. So make it relate to them and, and use children, use family, use whatever whatever hmm. motivates them and resonates with them in order to, to do that. Yeah, I love that idea. So that if you, you're going to you say offer a course and how to make your home protected, that yeah. would surely resonate with any family people. I mean, that's a good one. Yeah, absolutely. Love yeah. That. So, uh, Jane, um, including uh, giving a, an, a shameless plug for your book, mm-hmm. which I would gladly do for you, uh, I lay you up for this one. How can people find about your book and or get in touch with you if they're interested in knowing more? Um, well, <clears throat> certainly book. My book is actually called, I'm going to tell you the name of it. So Great. it's called Insecurity. Uh-oh. Um, yeah obviously, um, insecurity. And the subtitle is how a failure to attract and retain women insecurity is making us less safe. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the name of the book. You can find details on my website. And my website is um, www.jane-franklam.com. <clears throat> and I'm on Twitter. So I'm on all of the social media channels. Um, Twitter is my favorite platform. I love Twitter. Me too. Um, and it's just at Jane Frankland. Um, yeah, but come and find me. Come say hello. 
if you've been, if you've enjoyed what I've had to say, or it's you want to learn more about it, then yeah, absolutely. Um, message me, drop me an email. Um, and yeah, have a conversation. Brilliant. We'll find you at a con- conference as well. Jane, thanks for coming on the show. Loved having you. Loved hearing about it. Good luck. Well, well done on getting the manuscript finished. And uh, good luck for the rest. And we'll stay in touch. Thanks, Minter. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue Show. You'll find the show notes on themindset.com. That's mindset with a Y where you can also sign up for my weekly newsletter at forward slash subscribe. If you like the show, please do rate it in iTunes. That really makes my day. Happy trails and enjoy Josh Sachs's Painted Fingers. Oh, fill me with all your colors any different way To rid me of the gray
Hi, my name is Sara, and I want to tell you about my podcast called Can I Offer You Some Feedback? I'm a business consultant and executive coach with over 20 years experience in change management, leadership development, and naturally providing feedback to high performers. My podcast is for those of you who have a complicated relationship with feedback, whether giving, receiving, avoiding or seeking. Feedback is essential for our development. In each episode, you'll hear from real people across industries with their ideas, perspectives, and best practices on feedback. I'll also be sharing business bites with you, simple explanations of organizational tools, management techniques, and leadership philosophies that will help you and your businesses thrive. You can listen to Can I Offer You Some Feedback on your favorite podcast app or learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com.